What's going on everyone? I hope everybody's having a great Friday afternoon and welcome to this segment of the Ishkin Dish pod. Today, I'm joined by the host of Anything is Possible, Quint Wheel to discuss the major issues and topics going on around the NBA today. Quint, how are you doing on this Friday afternoon? Yes, sir. I'm doing great, man. I'm excited to talk ball. We have we have so much to cover because the NBA season has been an absolute shocker. We've seen some teams go off that we weren't expecting. There's some shifts in the power rankings that we're going to talk about. There's, I'm excited to get, get the ball rolling. Oh, so am I. I mean, we're barely into the season, and yet it's been so unpredictable. And that's what I feel like makes... I feel like that's a recipe for a great NBA season. So, absolutely. Uh, to start off, let's talk about the Utah Jazz and their surprisingly amazing start. Uh, what are your thoughts on Utah, and do you think this team is legit playoff team? Dude, I, they're so legit, and I think it starts with their coaching. This guy, Will Hardy, he's 34 years old. He's basically, to me, he's like the Sean McVay of basketball, and what he's doing is taking all the best practices he had um, during uh, he saw during his eleven years under Coach Pop and his one year um, alongside Ime Udoka during the Celtics playoff run, kind of taking those bits and pieces. And I watched an interview with him, um, D- GM Danny Ainge. We all know he's he's up he's up there in terms of just being an elite GM um, team builder. I saw an interview with him, Danny Ainge, and their young owner, Ryan Smith, who's 44. Mind you, their co-owner is Dwayne Wade, who's like 40. Yeah. They have one of the youngest leadership groups, aside from Danny Ainge, like ever in basketball. And I find that interesting how they're kind of trying to revolutionize the game a little bit. And so what I've seen thus far is the, the two things that pop out of how they play is they have two seven-footers that can pass and shoot the ball. So they're operating as spacers that pretty much create a bunch of mismatches on the perimeter, and they allow um, a lot of a lot of driving lanes for Colin Sexton um, and Mike Conley. And based on the analytics thus far, I'll just give you some numbers. They're ranked fourth in terms of the, the, well, they're the fourth ranked team looking at how much they beat teams by in the win percentage, and they're the number one team, um, the number one team in overall three point difference making meaning that they're the second best defensive three-point team and the third best offensive three-point team which I find is like that's the key to what they're doing and I I just I like their culture they remind me a lot of the 2014 Spurs and how their ball movement is everywhere what are your thoughts on them yeah absolutely uh first off I think Danny Ainge is gonna have a heart attack due to the fact they're not tanking to get Victor Wembanyama. but on the other hand I know Ainge is a winning guy and I feel like he's very happy to see his team uh, start out on this amazing start that no one expected. But I will say this about the Jazz. They're very team-oriented. Obviously, Lori Markkinen is the main piece of that team, having a career year, averaging 22.7 points and 8.8 boards per night. But at the same time, this team is very deep, and they're stacked at the guard position. They have Jordan Clarkson, Mike Conley Jr., Malik Beasley, and Colin Sexton yeah. coming off the bench. No and true stars. Yeah, they have no true stars. It's kind of giving that 0-4 Pistons vibe. Like minus that. the grit and minus the amount of swearing and cussing from Rasheed Wallace. But at the same time, this team has been really exciting. I'm very interested to see what they do in the playoffs. Because I'm not going to lie, I feel like they're going to slow down as the season progresses. They're yeah. not going to be on oh, this trajectory. Yeah. I think they'll be... I can easily see them being a 5 or 6 seed and making some noise. I like that. I think they're going to be a little better than the than the play-in level. Just based on how, how well they've been playing thus far. It's, it's really incredible how... 
in the beginning, this was the team we doubted the most. Everybody's like, this is going to be the worst team in the league. and we're <laughs> 100%. They're the fourth best team in the league right now. Yeah. It's incredible. And I feel like the NBA is all about opportunity, especially, and this is seen with Laurie Marketing. I, he, I'm a dire Bulls fan, and in, our first, in his first season, he showed right. flashes of greatness. He had a great year. And then from there, we got these other pieces, and he didn't really fit into the rotation. He was still a solid player, averaging like 15 points per night. And then he went to Cleveland. He was still solid there, but he just didn't fit in because they already had Evan Mobley, Jared Allen. And then as soon as he goes to Utah, he's given a chance basically to give – he's basically given the keys to the car for the offense, and he's shown out. Clean slate. Yeah. And also in Finland, he balled out too, and he's basically translating what he did in Finland to the NBA. Right, yeah. There's, been, there's a lot of Euro ball action going on over the summer. Oh, like yeah. Jokic, Giannis, and now we got Lori. I swear, something about – there's something in the water over in Europe with those seven-footers who are just so amazingly skilled offensively. Dude, the game is becoming international. Even, like, this guy, like, Sangoon, who, like, I, I barely even know of him, but he's already becoming, like, an elite-level player. It's I mean, this guy's got like, Hakeem the Dream's footwork, and he's on yeah. Houston, which is just, like – the cherry on top of the sun. Yeah, he's like a keen plus like slow-mo Kyle Anderson kind of vibes. Exactly. Like but I, I am really excited about this Utah team just because they play team-oriented basketball. And that's what the game of basketball is all about. That's my favorite style of play. That's, exactly. That's what, I mean, that's what made me fall in love with the game. It's like the 2014 Spurs, like seeing a bunch of old a bunch of old European dudes that you typically see at the YMCA, yeah. Ball and LeBron and his friends. It was incredible, and the fact they were doing it via ball movement is like, yeah. that's the same energy I see with this Utah team. Exactly. I mean, Boris Diaw looks like the guy that does your taxes, yet he's dropping <laughs> behind the back dimes and, like, looking for, and just knocking down threes as well. Yeah. Like, he's just, it's just, it just shows you how, like, high IQ goes such a long way in today's game. Yeah. But like, you can be extremely talented and athletic, and that takes you far as well. But if you really want to win a championship, when it comes down to a game seven, IQ and team-oriented basketball always prevails. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's the Jazz. But yeah, they've been really excited. Now to switch gears, let's talk about the Lakers. What's going on <laughs> in La La Land? I mean, they're 2-9. This is one of their worst starts since, I think, 2014 when Robert Sacre second was starting. Second worst team in the league right now. Yeah, and this is their worst start since uh, Robert Sacre was their starting center. Ooh. So what's going on in L.A.? And what do you think they need to do to turn things around? A lot of things are going on in L.A., but one thing that isn't is accountability. And it just seems like the the star names that draw people to go to a Lakers game, LeBron James, Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, those are names that were way brighter and made way more sense in NBA conversations five years ago. But it seems that today we're giving a lot more credence to experience than I think we really should. And... Like the, I'm not a big Russ fan, but I'm not going to go in on him because it's kind of too easy. Like I'm not trying to shoot layups for you guys out here. But I think that uh, what's going on is uh, having two primary ball handlers where neither one of them can space. LeBron's honestly been – he's LeBron is one of the stars that can change his game year over year considering he's been in the league for 20 years. He's been evolving his game constantly to yeah. fit what the trends are. I think he's done a little bit of that this year, but it's taken away from his typical game. Like, the driving lanes aren't there, and I'm starting to notice that the athleticism isn't there where it used to be, and he's having his worst season shooting pretty much ever at this point. And um, I'm not going to blame that entirely on him because, you know, the the flow of the offense is just so distraught. Having Russ, who's a clear non-spacer, who's honestly been looking better as of recent, um, that's just a, just a big drag on the team. And the fact that Pat, Bev, and Russ are fighting for minutes is just hilarious to me. It's like 
this is the dumpster fire that I do enjoy watching, but in small doses. Like I don't need to see five ESPN segments a week about it. I can just see one and be reminded, okay, like, yeah, they're, they were overhyped. Yeah, I totally agree, but I want to make this very clear. I don't like how Russ is being the scapegoat because off the bench, he has seen a lot of success. He's averaged 19.3 points per game, 6.5 rebounds, 6.5 assists per game on 51, 41, 76% shooting splits. Mm-hmm. I think the blame for this Lakers team, honestly, goes to Rob Palenka, who the man who constructed this team because yeah. this is a poorly constructed roster. Especially because every LeBron-led team, what I've noticed is they have like two or three stars. And then the rest of the team spacers. are guys who are spacers. And guys who like have a certain distinct role. Whether it be a defensive lockdown guy, a playmaker, or a shooter. And the Lakers don't have that at all. They're one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league. Statistically, in NBA history, they've... Been one of the worst three point shooting teams this year. Oh yeah, they're and they're dangerous. they lack they have no they have no bench whatsoever. Um, yeah. like for example, against the Clippers, besides Russ who had fourteen points off the bench, Max uh, Wenyan Gabriel was their <laughs> next leading scorer off the bench with four points, and then it goes Max Christie. With he looks three. like a two K my player whenever I see him on the floor. Yeah, like, this is really the Lakers honestly. Right now. And Kendrick Nunn had a whopping zero points. He scored as many points as I did. He doesn't look confident last night. And yeah, he doesn't look like the guy that he was in Miami. Yeah. I know, seriously. And the problem, I feel like, it's not, and I know KCP said LeBron doesn't have that fire anymore. That's BS. Oh, he LeBron, said that? He said something along those lines. If LeBron doesn't have the same passion as he does. This guy's in his 20th year. He's tired. He's tired. He's done everything. I think he's thinking about business commitments. Uh, may, may, honestly, maybe, because they do share maybe the same agents. Maybe stuff in that space yeah, jam. Case, three, yeah. Yeah. KCP might be a little hurt that he didn't get a re-sign from the Lakers, especially helping them win a Oh, no, I think he's laughing right now. He's playing with Jokic right now. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I this doesn't go on LeBron or AD. I think it just goes on the on Rob Linka. And the people... Who constructed this roster because it's a poorly constructed roster. Yeah. Can I do a deeper dive on that? Of course. So the thing about – I don't know if it's necessarily Rob Palenka because the thing is, okay, there's always this meme that like LeGM exists. Like LeBron is a big influence on the moves that That's these teams will make, right? That is very true. And yes. I think that um, he's a high basketball IQ guy partly because his athleticism just allows him to have so much creativity where he's just going to always have space to do something cool especially passing-wise, but I don't know um, if that always relates to his, like, signing decisions. So I feel like with Russ, it's like he'd be an okay player if his contract wasn't $48 million. I 100% agree. And that's what kills the depth is the fact that they're basically paying a player to kind of play at a subpar level, um, but paying him like he's like Steph Curry or Luka yes. Doncic, which is just the issue that takes away their depth. 100% agree. And adding on to your point, I know I really believe Westbrook isn't the problem, but at the same time, I think they have to pull the trigger on the Lakers Pacers trade. Because AD, he's literally publicly said this in interviews, he does not like playing the five. He loves being the four because he can space out and that allows him to like create stuff off the dribble because he's so extremely talented. Mm-hmm. I think if they do pull the trigger on that, they get Miles Turner, who's a, one of the best shot bloggers in the but league. They trade away their true five. They do trade away their future. But I feel like I know, but I feel like they, they're in win-now mode. I mean, LeBron's 38. I mean, they're going to suck no matter what, even when LeBron leaves, because they're going to have no future regardless. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just kind of at a point where it's like I, like, I don't know if LeBron is... I know 
we all know how LeBron could be when he's in the playoffs, but the fact of the matter is, like, is he even a top 10 player anymore? Like, legitimately. There's so many players right now that are only getting better, and they've just done better on higher volume, on higher efficiency, and it's like, I just don't, I feel like it might be time to just trade away the pieces and rebuild, you know, for LA, and like, it might be a hard thing to come to terms with if you're a fan, but I'll say this from the Knicks fan perspective is that the amount of indecision that we've had during my like nine year, 10 year as a Knicks fan is always kind of moving between are we rebuilding or shooting for the playoffs and kind of hanging in that middle ground. And that's where the Lakers don't want to be because if they hang in that middle ground for too long, that is no man's with no draft picks yeah. and they're basically setting themselves up for like a decade of like trust the process versus yeah. if you you have assets right now. If you can move those assets to teams where they might be of value, then you could actually maybe build a future. And you know, knowing how the NBA works, maybe get a lucky draft card with it. So let me let me try to like I'm trying to understand what you're saying. So do you think the Lakers should consider trading LeBron? Yes, okay. absolutely. Okay. And I don't think like I don't think it's it's a tough look because everything with LeBron is like how does this affect LeBron's legacy? Yeah. Like jokingly or not jokingly, I think that him moving somewhere is like it's it's just it's tough because i know he wants to stick it out but does he want to end like kobe and be like oh yeah the last good thing he did in the last four years was have like a a good retirement game to be honest though i really don't think he cares anymore i feel like in his eyes i feel like in his eyes he's just because he's accomplished everything in terms of winning and individual words and team accolades i just feel like for him if he just passes Kareem, then he's, like, seen as, in his eyes, he believes he's going to be the greatest. I mean, he already believes he's the greatest player of all time. He said yeah. that in his un- uninterrupted yeah. show. But I feel like if he passes Kareem, that's going to shift everyone's kind of opinion on who the GOAT is. And that's going to reset like all those debate. conversations. I like this debate. I'm going to add something new to this. Is that I think the biggest elephant in the room that people aren't talking about is the fifth ring. So Steph Curry has four rings. LeBron has four rings. KD has, what does he have, three rings now? KD has two. He has two rings. Kawhi has two rings. Kawhi? Is Kawhi have two? Kawhi has two. two. 2014 and 2019. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, dude, I was thinking he has three as well. (laughs) He kind of deserves it, yeah. He's got injured at the worst times. But anyways, I think the the Steph Curry-LeBron debate is kind of at a chapter right now where it's an open book, and I feel like whoever wins the next title may have a big leg in what we see as like the greatest player of their era because really? it's really about I think it's LeBron being, well I have a lot of arguments for that because if you just think about okay I'm just gonna throw out some things right now confidence strength there's this yeah. thing called simple the simple rating system which says how many points you're beating your team by adjusted for how good that team is right yeah and so that's the biggest determinant of if your team is going to be a contender or not so the top six teams in the NBA are basically considered contenders. 95% of champions are top six. Yeah. Um, like 85% of finals appearances are top six teams. Like 75% are conference finalists. And so during LeBron's nine-year finals run, yeah. 70% of those big boys, those actual contenders, were balling out in the Western Conference, meaning that LeBron's teams probably accounted for 10% of the contenders had a face-off against like 10 to 50, 10 to 20% of that contenders, whereas like, yeah. This this Curry guy had a fight off versus the you know peak San Antonio Spurs, yeah. OKC, Lob Houston City. Rockets, Lob City. 
You can't tell me that you throw Lob City in the Eastern Conference. You don't think that they might sniff a finals? That's true. But I feel like at the end of the day, LeBron's still getting to the finals and he's beating those Western Conference teams. Only if he gets... He's only beat them in seven games. That's true. He's only beat them in seven games or when they're... I mean, for me, I'm coming from the perspective of somebody that was rooting for the Warriors and not for LeBron. And I just, like, personally felt like there was a little stimulus package with the Draymond Game 5 suspension and fouling out Curry for the first time in 400 starts, but... Hey, I'm not going to say the obvious. At the end of the day, the greatest regular season of all time blew a 3-1 lead. You can't really make an excuse for that. I understand that Draymond was suspended. I mean, you can't make an that. excuse, but you can add context. Oh, of course you can. But at the end of the day, that was Draymond's idiotic decision to punch LeBron in, well, in the nuts. Well, he wasn't ejected. It was a retroactive decision by the league to make the game to make the series more interesting by taking away the most Possibly. valuable player, Possibly. the most valuable player on the Golden State Warriors during the most pivotal Mo- during the most pivotal momentum-filled game of that series. Yeah. yeah we can go back and forth. We can talk about LeBron for, forever, man. But obviously the Lakers <laughs> are struggling. But I want to talk about the other team in LA. Specifically, they've, they've been solid this year. They're 7-5. and five. They're, trending on the, they're trending upwards. Kawhi, but man. let's talk about Kawhi. What is going on with him? And what's his, like, what's his goal for the rest of the season? Because he's just a big question mark. Like, literally no one knows what's going on. All these analysts just speculate. It's all speculation. We have no facts on what his injury is. Yeah, it's so funny when, like, you just go in first take and, like, Stephen A. Smith is already talking about Kawhi's character when he has literally no clue why Kawhi is out. And, frankly, like, Kawhi is a playoff riser. He he and LeBron are the definitions of playoff risers. They just get better during that time. And I think we all want to see Kawhi back at his best, averaging like 20, 25 to 30 points per game, being a great two-way player, carrying an elite team in the playoffs, which I think is totally possible. But you don't want to waste, you don't want to waste your health early on in the season. And like, I don't understand, um, I don't understand the patterns and how he's handled injuries in the past. I'm not going to go into that because that's a lot of speculation. But I just think that. He is playing it cautious after having a big injury that really kind of changed the trajectory of his career in the Clippers. He wants to play safe. I understand that, and I get the Clippers arresting him, and you got to do whatever the king wants because he is the king of that team. But at the same time, you still want to strive for being a one to a four seed. Like in the in, you want to be a one, two, three, or fourth seed. Mm. So if the Clippers are gonna achieve that, they need Kawhi to play at least like fifty games. And right now he's not I, I mean if you're looking at it right now, he's not projected to play fifty. Yeah, yeah. They I need th- him out there. I mean because the Clippers are a deep team and I think if they're completely healthy, they could definitely make a finals run for sure. Oh yeah, dude. I, I think I, th- for I sure. think they're uh, they're we, so deep off the bat. We can't really talk about contenders and pretenders along those lines. Like that's there are so many question marks right now. I have around uh, the Clippers and the Warriors specifically because they're yeah. the teams that I saw as the two favorites to you know win in the West right now. Yeah. But now they're kind of hanging in like the low twenties in terms of where they're ranking. It's like it's like man. I, I would just say one last thing about Kawhi before moving on to whatever topic. Uh, yeah. But I think Kawhi is like. Man, he was playing at an MVP level back in 2021 before the injury, and they were only games basically shy of playing Giannis and whoever in the finals. And, like, um, I really want to see Kawhi come back to full strength. Uh, and I think PG um, has been balling out as of late. Um, and, like, man, the, the West is just such a, such a confusing space right now. So, for me, like, just looking – I'll say this. You said top eight. Um, no, you said you said being the top four 
like being the top four seed in their conference is like a good sign. For oh, because you got. I mean, you're gonna have a good chance of having home court advantage at the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. That that goes that aligns with like the top six SRS idea of what a contender is. It basically yeah. says like real contenders are like top three seeds, but um, kind of like dark horses hang around like the four to five sort of spot. So right now, like the West is very confusing, but I feel like the East there's a there's a lot of things happening in the East. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned Golden State. Let's talk about them because they've really struggled. They're currently twelfth in the West, and they're sitting at four and seven. And honestly, they should they honestly they shouldn't have even beat the Kings. Yeah. The last game. I mean, they totally miscalled. Kevin Herter got absolutely tackled by Clay Thompson. But what's going on with Golden State? Because at the beginning of the year, people were projecting them to repeat. Yeah, man. Golden State has kind of. I knew that that there was going to be issues ever since the whole Draymond Green Jordan Poole fiasco Absolutely. to start off the season like that. Having that released, like it just really kind of changed the team chemistry and sort of flow that this team had coming in. I wonder if it's partly that the reason why Jordan Poole has really really struggled so far this season. For me, in my head, I was thinking Jordan Poole is going to get the torch passed from from Clay Thompson this year, and he's going to be averaging like twenty plus points per game on high efficiency. He's going to be balling yeah. out. But so far, Steve Kerr has called him a very valuable player to their bench, which I'm very surprised of. So they that gave him a bag. They basically gave him a bag to be a six man bench guy, and in reality, it's like he hasn't really displayed confidence to even be that level, yeah. which is very disconcerting. But like the other question marks that surround the team is like. Defense is the biggest thing. They're the, one of the worst defenses in the NBA right now. And I think a big part of that is Draymond Green. Draymond Green has been, you know, he's arguably the best defender of this era. 100%. You know, he's up, He's really because up there. Because of his versatility. His versatility, his communication, his leadership, how he makes everybody better. Basically, like, um, um, he, like, all the fires that are happening, He he's kind of like, he's like the fireman of their defense. He's just, like, putting out fires. Absolutely. There. He's just the leader. He's a floor general on that end, where Steph Curry's a floor general on the other end. But you could also argue that Draymond is the two-way floor general of the greatest dynasty of the modern era. But that's that's my my appreciation. A, people, a lot of people hate on Mr. Triple Single. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of hate there because uh, there's a lot of misunderstanding about him. But I would say he, he hasn't played the same for about – well, ever since the Boston series, he's just kind of looked different. Um, I think that – his value has gone down with all the questions about if he's going to resign and just he, he's long been the voice and kind of the emotional leader of that team and I'm questioning right now like where where is the team's like emotional state at what's the chemistry looking like after this whole thing that started off the season like what are your thoughts yeah. on the Warriors man yeah I mean the Warriors just haven't looked like the team we've seen for the last five years and honestly I feel like this this right here, them being four and seven, kind of exemplifies that the dynasty could be over. I just think there's a lot of turmoil within the locker room, especially with like Draymond, Jordan Poole, because I feel like a situation like that, you just can't really forget. And I remember like two years ago, it was KD's last year in Golden State, and him and Draymond had that little exchange on the bench. And then I think a year later when he, I mean, he joined Brooklyn and he was on first take. And Kellerman asked him, "Did that, did that, did that exchange between you and Draymond play in a role in your decision to leave Golden State and go to Brooklyn?" And he said, "Yes." Yeah. And that situation was so much less extreme than this. I mean, Draymond physically assaulted Jordan Poole. Yeah. 
Like, just man. totally rocked him in the face. And I just feel like as a man, I just can't forget that. I'll never forget that. And our relationship will never be the same. Yeah. No matter what you say to me to, like, make amend things. I feel like the trust and wanting to see, like, your teammate do better is kind of taken, is yeah. kind of taken away a little bit. And when you have two pieces that, you know, one guy is he's only getting – Jordan Poole's only getting better. Draymond's regressing. I feel like that's just a big theme of what's – going on is a tension between 100%. young players and both those guys are right. fighting for a contract extension literally fighting for a contract extension yeah dude, the, <laughs> the amount of money going being thrown around in golden state is a lot and i'll say this i think that there are some players that really impressed me for the warriors like jonathan kuminga to me he like to me he spits like Kawhi leonard prototype not He's kind of lacking the offensive bag as of right now, but man, his athleticism and defense, like when he's when he's locked in, is incredible. I think that a big difference maker also this year is not having Gary Payton because I think to me, if there was an award for role player of the year, he should have won that last year for what he was doing for the Warriors yeah. as a two way guy. He was finishing so many plays, being the guy that would pretty much <laughs> he was the most switchable small, he was the most switchable point guard I've ever seen on defense. Incredible yeah. stuff, and um. It's in the blood, man. Yeah, dude. The GP blood runs deep. But I think the Warriors, it's like... I think, one, is we're overreacting to all the news that happened. No, we're overreacting to, to their record right now. And I feel like we're going to see who they really are as the season progresses. I think that... I don't think that they are going to go for like the 60-win the record that they have in past years. Because Curry might be in that mode where he's like... Okay, I just proved myself. Let's just like chill out for the regular season and just take it up a notch as we get closer to playoff time. I think the Warriors, to me, they don't look confident right now, but I think that that's something can, that can change in the next 10 games. Yeah, for sure. But I feel like guys that were supposed to have a big year, like James Wiseman has not shown up at all, averaging only 7.3 points and four rebounds a night. Dude, I, I swear mean, they have these, too many guys. They like, have so many guys. The minutes? problem is, is that like Wiseman for – his basically his physical ability should not be averaging seven and four. He's a guy that should be averaging like twenty and ten at least. He's got an Anthony Davis prototype build, and he's just not playing to that ability whatsoever. I just don't know. I just don't know if you could he have just doesn't him fit in, in there. I don't know if you could have him and Draymond on the floor because Draymond's issues, similar to a guy like Ben Simmons, but not as bad, is that he doesn't really shoot well, and to have James yeah. Wiseman, who's like. He's kind of like your almost prototypical like early 2000s uh, pick-and-pop guy that can hit long twos, but you never really see him really hit threes. But he can also dominate in the paint as well. He, he could. He's a little wiry, but he, he could, but he just decides not to. I think they also maybe playing it slow with him just because like the NBA, like the pace of the game is just so like, you know, there's nothing like it in terms of the athleticism of the game itself. Yeah. And take a guy who's been out for over a year and bring him back. I feel like they're just being slow with it. But it's like, at what point do they find their new death lineup? That's what I'm waiting for. Yeah, I totally agree. And to talk now we're going to switch gears talk about another team in the West, the Minnesota Timberwolves. They had high expectations going into the year, acquiring Rudy Gobert in the offseason. But they're sitting at 5-7 and seven and 10th in the West. What do you think is going on up north in Minnesota? Um, I'll just be straight up. I'm not a fan of Anthony Edwards at all. I think that I, I think that he is just the symptom of highlight culture. He's the guy that you're gonna look at him and be like, oh, he has he has this great persona. He's really athletic. He's all these cool plays. But then you don't look at the like the problems with him. 
This guy, his shot selection is pretty bad. He's just like not a good team player. He's not really a leader. I hope I get the whole the whole Colony Towns Popeye saga. There's actually some truth to that. The fact that um, the team, the Timberwolves, the front office, they basically were like, "Hey, let's invest. Let's put all our eggs in one basket right now. Let's just get the best rim protecting center of of this uh, of this season. Um, let's pair him with one of the best stretch fours of of this season." And then let's pair him with this guy who we think will be the next Michael Jordan, but the Minnesota version, right? Yes. yes. And they're like, Anthony, uh, hey, here are the keys. Go do something with it. But the issue is that I'm recognizing now is the problem for Rudy Gobert. I feel like as a non-spacer in offense, I feel like that could kill the um, that could kill some of the areas for more efficiency for a guard. Like you see, like D- Donna Mitchell's going off right now. I think there's a lot more spacing there, and I think that. Um, I think that Anthony Edwards just isn't taking the step that people expect him to do because of, like, based on where Minnesota's mindset was, oh, we're going to build around Anthony, I just don't feel like he's really ever going to be an all-NBA player, in my opinion. I don't think he ever will. Interesting. Because I – there is – Anthony does have a very interesting attitude. He kind of just says whatever on his, whatever's on his mind, and it's not that he doesn't care. It's just that he does lack the discipline to be like a great, to be one of the greats basically. Cause there is like, like you said, that Popeye's example, there is truth to that. I mean, this guy's eating Popeye's on the daily. I feel like if you're gonna like, I mean, if your body's a Ferrari, you're not gonna feed it with poor fuel, right? You're gonna feed it with the best pu- fuel possible. And Popeye's is not that best fuel. Yeah. <laughs> and Edwards is the Ferrari. I feel like you're picking up what I'm putting down. Yeah, absolutely. But I will say this, the Timberwolves, the problem I have with them is their backcourt, they lack defense in the backcourt. I mean, obviously Edwards is a good defender, but Russell can't play defense, and he's a streaky shooter. And then off the bench, I mean, Kyle Anderson's a solid piece. Jalen Noel is solid. But I feel like, obviously, Gobert is the best rim protector in the league, and Towns is somewhat of a paint presence as well. But the problem is, is in it, the playoffs, they're going to get exposed via pick and rolls. They dude, just, yeah, that's, a bit of, that's been a yeah. problem. And Phoenix exposed that. Um, on Wednesday's game, where Booker annihilated them, and Cameron Payne at twenty three and eight, looking like an all star. I mean, if you got Cameron Payne dominating you guys in the pick and roll, imagine what like Steph Curry will do, or any other all star level guard. Yeah, and also looking players. at it now, putting putting together Anthony Edwards and Russell's offensive production, they're pretty much losing the T Wolves about three and a half points per game by being below league average. Just yeah. offensive wise, which is you know that, that's what they're there for for the most part is to be offensive stars, and the fact that they're not producing at at least a league average efficiency level is really concerning, and obviously there's going to be growing pains when you have a new addition, a new guy that's there, a very big um, change of style for the team, but I, I just I see them an, as an absolute pretender, and to me they remind me a lot of what's going on in Philly, just another pretender team. Yeah, well, Philly's dealing with inj- injuries, but I definitely agree. And now that you mentioned Philly, I want to talk about the Eastern Conference and the Milwaukee Bucks. They've looked absolutely dominant, starting off ten and sure. one. How legit is this team? Because honestly, I think they're I think they could definitely win the finals again. Oh yeah, well I would say that's where the public sentiment is at. But as a, as a realist, basketball realist, they've had the easiest schedule in the NBA thus far, which is pretty much why they had that streak of winning like eight eight or nine games in a row is because they happen to play like the Pistons twice, the Hawks once, yeah. the Houston. Houston the only once. playoff team they basically played is Atlanta and Minnesota. 
Yeah, which they're they're basically they're not even we're waiting for that. a big matchup. They had a they had a really close matchup with Philly, which is a, at this point a mid tier team, um, very middle of the league. I feel like um, the Bucks they're very exciting. Giannis is always a show to watch. Um, I think the big difference for them recently has been Brook Lopez defensively. I've seen a bunch of videos about this, a bunch of analysis from NBA experts is that Brook Lopez is leading the league in contested shots right now. And he was the focal point of their defense when they had one of the highest ranking defensive ratings of all time. Um, and I, I just like what they're doing on that end. But at the same time, I feel like without Chris Middleton, their offense can get a little stagnant in the half court. Yeah. Although Drew Holiday, an underrated player on both ends, in my opinion, has been very good offensively. It seems like Giannis, I'm still... And there is a lo- there's a level of offensive dominance that he had last year, which honestly he hasn't brought as much this year. Although he's been averaging high volume, he's been like his in terms of his impact, in terms of how many re- real points he's shifting the team offensively, has been kind of low. But that that may also be a symptom of um, small sample size, and um, there's a lot more to be to be seen with that team. But I, honestly, the the real team to me that's the real team that's a threat right now in the East. There's a few for me. These are my contenders in the in the East. Is I have, well, I have the Bucks kind of hanging around the one to three spot. I agree. But I have the Cavaliers and the Celtics as the other two legit contenders. The Nets are to be decided. Um, the Raptors to me are a dark horse because they've been uh, this incredible defensively. Their pace is elite. The best fast break team in the NBA. And their player development is really key what they're going to do forward. Yeah. Six they got the best player development in the league. Oh, yeah. I think them and the Jazz now. Probably. I think Miami, honestly, was up there, too. They've, they've been able to develop guys with their years. Absolutely, man. Side. The Cavs are exciting, and, uh, though. Yeah, Cavs are very exciting. I like that list. I like that. I think Cleveland is definitely legit. They got, I mean, Donovan Mitchell is basically D-Wade 2.0 with a jump shot. Yeah. Evan Mobley is looking like, I don't know who I compared to, maybe like a young KG. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Uh, minus the dog in him, because KG's just... Bro, they're all like 25. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're all young. Darius Garland's great. Great backward mate to have, you know, with... Um, it's the Donovan perfect Mitchell. storm. And Jared Allen's awesome, too. He's arguably the best rim protector in the league as well. This is like the And they got Karis LeVert, too. I forgot about that. Perfect guy. storm for a rebuild. Like, they had one of the, the most improved teams, honestly, of... The, I think they were like the third most improved net rating team of the last decade last year, and now they've just taken another jump from being like a... Like a plus one, like a plus one, sort of like top 15-ish sort of team to being now <laughs> the second-ranked team in the NBA, which is incredible. And you got to give credit to J.B. Bickerstaff. He's done an oh, amazing yeah. job. Kind of like Underrated. being the captain of this shit. But I think Cleveland is definitely very legit. I mean, they're sitting at 8-3 right now, second in the East. Boston's right there with them. They're 8-3 as well. Atlanta's having a solid start to the year. They're 8-4. Uh, they're they're definitely interesting team, especially with the Trey Young, Dejounte Murray backcourt. I don't know how legit they can be. I have concerns. Come man. playoff time, <laughs> I've but got I just don't see like Atlanta beating the Celtics or the Bucks or the Cavs in a seven game series. That's my only problem with them. Yeah. Otherwise, they are a really solid team. The Nets are just a big question. Yeah, man. because Ben Simmons literally is scared to shoot a basketball. But I like how Jock Vaughn is their coach. He should have been the coach. I mean, they should have never hired Steve Nash in the first place. I mean, what he did in the bubble with that net squad was incredible. Yeah. I mean, they were literally picking up guys off the streets. Like, Jamal Crawford was off the street, literally. Yeah. Like, it was nuts. Um, but, yeah, it, the East is definitely very interesting this year. And I'll, it's – especially, like, because the Sixers have 
not play well, start off the year. Miami has struggled. They're both five and seven, and Harden's going to be out for another month. I feel like a lot of these teams that had deep playoff runs, like the Heat and the Warriors specifically, are probably just taking it slow to start off the season. I think we're going to see them pop off the next year. Whereas, like, the inverse happened the year prior, where, like, the Warriors, they had a big layoff because they didn't make the playoffs. You know, they got eliminated in the play into the Grizzlies. Um, And uh, they had more time and rest, and they are like, Let's let's really internalize what these haters are saying. But now it's like these guys are just kind of shaking off the rust right now. I just want to go on a little rant about Trey Young. So here's my here's my theory about Trey Young. He is one of the highest volume. He's one of the highest volume offensive creators in the NBA today. He's probably in the top five in terms of his ability to create things for his teammates. But although he's been a high volume creator, his efficiency has absolutely sucked so far offensively and that's the only thing he really has going for him because if you think about it he's probably he has an argument for being the worst he is the argument for being the worst defender starting in the nba he has a legit argument as the worst guy besides chris paul who's like almost 40 fucking years old oh, the cone? excuse my friend the cone according to espn informant patrick beverly but I, I just I think that Trey Young is always going to have that issue as a defender because literally anybody could basically score on him. Like you could kind of throw in like you could throw in any like G League guy, and I think they're they're dropping a good amount on Trey Young. It's like how much can their defense really hide him? I know Dejounte Murray has been good, but John Collins is a little bit of a liability as well. I feel like the thing is like the best teams either have like a dominant superstar. One that's just like special generational is leading an all-time offense. It's pretty much an, an, an unstoppable thing. Like a guy like Curry, KD, LeBron, um, soon to be Doncic and Jokic and Giannis. Actually, yeah, Giannis. But I think the yeah. biggest thing is having a, a two-way team. And I feel like that Atlanta 100%. will never have a two-way team because Trey Young is just, I don't know. He's going to have to like. Because in the playoffs, you can't hide. Those yeah. Are, you, you will be found. In the playoffs. Yeah. As much of a clamp DeJounte Murray is, I'm telling you, a lot of teams rely on pick and roll action, off ball screens. And when they get that switch on Trey Young, it's barbecue chicken. Yeah. Speaking of backcourts, what do you think about the Grizzlies? Especially Desmond Bain. Yeah. They've, they have a really, I think the Grizzlies are just a bunch of dogs. And these kids <laughs> are hungry. They are hungry. And they're all young. And John Morant's obviously uh, D Rose 2.0 in my eyes. Yeah. Imagine if he gets a consistent jump shot, it's game over. I think the Grizzlies are definitely an exciting team, especially because they're so young and their ceiling is so high. I mean, they're sitting at 8-4. and four. They're fifth in the West. I think they could definitely be a title contender. Obviously, Dallas has been interesting this year. I mean, Luka Doncic has been absolutely incredible. Yeah, he's cooled off um, as of late, but, man, he started off high. Yeah, he's I mean, breaking the record, bro. 33-8-7. and seven. Incredible. I mean, it's it's like video game numbers. This guy, like he, like no one can guard him. He kind of has that Larry Bird type of play style, except he's except it's just he's just yucking up more threes. Yeah. So so you, here's a number for you about Luka Doncic. So there's this thing called point respo- points responsible for, which looks at your points scored and assisted, and when you weight that based on how much of your stuff is unassisted, um, like isolated looks, you get a number. And so basically, Luka Doncic is responsible for 42 points of the, of the whole Dallas Mavericks offense. That leads the league by, by seven points. Next guy is Shai Gilgis-Alexander, Trey Young, Ja, and Curry that are all between 34 and 35. So this guy is seven points above anybody else in terms of how much he's creating, which is just incredible. It's, it's, it's something special. 
Yeah, to finish off the podcast, I feel like we should discuss our Rookie of the Year candidates as well as our NBA Finals predictions. So for Rookie of the Year, who do you got right now? Oh, man. Dude, I'm going to throw a curveball at y'all. So I think a lot of people right now are seeing Bancaro, Bancaro, Bancaro. They can't say his name enough. Yeah. And, yeah, he's averaging 20 points a game. He kind of reminds me of, like, a Carmelo Anthony that, I don't know, is playing in – starting to play in an era that values a three ball. It's kind of like a different sort of mellow. Yeah. He's also seeing the career path of a guy that could be too selfish, Carmelo Anthony. Yeah. I'm a Knicks fan. Yeah, no, 100%. Fan. I agree. And, like, I think that um, – Well, Carmelo got belt – I mean, he got dealt bad – not bad cards early in his career, but – the Pistons drafted him, his career arc totally would have been different. He's addressed that, too. Honestly, uh, I'll say the only thing I'll say about Melo is like, he actually made the Western Conference Finals in 09 with the Nuggets, and they yeah. had Chauncey Billups, JR, and Nene, and they were actually a really good team. Only like a one, one game off from winning the fin- uh, well, making the Finals, it was actually incredible Think about his career arc. But I'll say about Pank- Bankero is uh, he is impressive with his potential to become like a really high-volume, efficient guy. Like, um, one of those next LeBron, Katie archetypes, if he really, really gets good. Yeah. But the guy that surprised me the most is Benedict Matherin. I was about to talk about him. And he's man, had an unbelievable year. Man, he's crazy. Yeah. You, you should, yeah. Tell me your thoughts on Benedict Matherin. Yeah, Matherin. I feel like, well, I knew a lot of those guys on the, those Pacers teams were going to get an opportunity. Especially since Tyrese. It's Tyrese's team, and he's had an unbelievable year. Incredible. Matherin has been really incredible this season, averaging 20.4 points, 3.5 rebounds. And 2.2 assists a night. I mean, this guy is just he's such a high motor, which I love about him. And I think his sky's the limit. I don't think he'll win Rookie of the Year just because of the way the narrative is toward, it's, it's favored towards Pancaro. It's going to take a lot. And that's, that's I, a real yeah. question, like what actually makes a Rookie of the Year. Right? There's a lot of factors that go into it. I think Jaden Ivey is definitely in that conversation. Um, but I, think, I feel like... When it comes down to Rookie of the Year, it's going to come down to Pancaro, definitely Jay and I, because I feel like the Pistons have potential to be a playoff team. Potentially. Like, they could be a playing team for sure. I don't think the Magic are going to make the playoffs. I really don't. And Matherin as well. It's going to come down to those three. Yeah. I feel like what's going to set Ivy and Pancaro apart, because those are the two leading candidates, is team success. Especially because Ivy is part of that Cape Cunningham backcourt, and Pancaro's Basically the face of the franchise. Yeah, so, already. I mean, there isn't really much competition for touches uh, with the Magic. But I'll say one other guy that we haven't talked about. Somebody that's really impressed me is Keegan Murray. Yes, he's been really solid. Sacramento Kings. And I'll say this. what The, the parallels that I see with, uh, with his play style and the Sacramento Kings build right now is Keegan Murray to me reminds me of Peyton Stoyakovic 2.0. His, he's basically like the healthy version of Michael Porter Jr. I actually wrote an article about this. I'll plug that later. But um, I think Keegan Murray to me is like... He, if, if you look at the 2002 Sacramento Kings, the ones, that, the ones that made the Western Conference Finals and pushed the Kobe Shaq Lakers to seven games before uh, an unfortunate happened, um, pretty much this, this Kings team right now has the offensive identity that very much replicates that team. Aside from De'Aaron Fox needs to work on his decision-making, I think Sabonis very much reminds me of a combination of uh, Chris Webber and um, Chris, um, uh, Chris Webber and this other passing big I feel like he doesn't have the athleticism that. No, there's this other guy. There's this other guy who played for the Kings in 02. This, like, center. Vladi Divac? Yeah, Vladi Divac. He he basically shares the passing ability of those two guys. And then you have a Pedro Stryakovic guy in Keegan Murray. That's We're going to see him develop. He's, he was the best offensive player, in my opinion, coming out of college and the best throughout Summer League and going to be one of the best when he gets more touches. 
Um, is he's just got to fight for that alongside Harrison Barnes, which I think is what the Kings should really be focusing on. They should be giving Keegan Murray more touches. But, uh, yeah, to move on from the Rookie of the Year conversation. Yeah, let's, let's finish off the pod talking about our finals predictions. Let's, let's talk about conference finals. Let's, or let's, let's do conference there. finals. Let's, let's go dive into the NBA finals. I like that. Yeah. So, in the East, who is your conference final? Man, so I'm going to put the Cavs as a lock. Okay. And I'm going to say that the second spot is between the Celtics and the Bucks. And I think that the Bucks are going to – since they're going to get Middleton back, I think that they're going to get their revenge, and I think it's going to be anybody's game um, coming, out of, coming out of the East. I could really see – yeah, I could, I, could, I could really see the Cavs winning based on their, their makeup. So I have, I'm going to go with a, a, surprise or a surprise there. We're going to have the Cavs coming out of the East. And looking at the Western Conference – Man, there's a lot of question marks right now, but I see, I see the Dallas Mavericks facing. Ooh, this is tough. I see the Dallas Mavericks versus the Denver Nuggets, and I think that, I think that's really anybody's. I, I really think it's anybody's for the taking. Um, I would say the thir- third team that could be in that mix would be the Clippers or the Warriors. That's kind of like a split decision, but I, I see it's either Luka or Jokic that's going to be coming out of the West based on. It's pretty much based entirely off of uh, how well Jokic's teammates, MPJ and uh, Jamal Murray, will come back to speed. I think that I could really see it being a, either Jokic Giannis finals or um, or a Jokic versus Cavs finals. Something Interesting. Like yeah, Luka so you're really Cavs. on the Cleveland hype train. You're yeah. on the Believeland hype train. I'm believing, man. Fair enough. I mean, you're living up to the moniker. I will say this. I think I I agree with your. Eastern Conference Finals prediction, but you can I just I by think the way, you're allowed to. Well, no, of course I am. I mean, that's what makes this interesting, right? That's right. I think the Bucks are a lock, and then the second spot is going to go to either Cleveland or Boston. I think if the Bucks are healthy; they're coming out of the East. The Middleton factor. I think if the if the Bucks are healthy last year, they would have won it all. Let's be real. Uh, yeah, actually, yeah, there's a. They would have. Uh, that's an because if they if they, make, if they make the finals. Who on Golden State's guarding Giannis? Literally who? Well, frankly, I thought that the Celtics were going to beat the Warriors having the finals, and they didn't. Fair enough. But the Celtics didn't have a, a seven-foot monster who can literally run the floor, shot block, and just basically do everything. That was, a good, that was a good point. Yeah. That was a good point. But, like, I'm not going to give the Bucks that benefit of doubt. What, That's what fair. if after they, you know, basically, I'm not going to talk about 2021, the injuries that benefited them. Because injuries are a part of the game. That's very true. Right. Very true. So going to the West... I will say that the Western Conference Final is going to be. I think Denver is going to make it. And there you go. That, for that, some love for the Yoke guy. Yeah, for, can I give love to the two-time MVP? Yeah, yes, sir. And I think for that second spot, it the way the Suns are playing, they could definitely make it. Or I see the Clippers in that spot. Yeah, they stay healthy. The West is Clippers so confusing. Are, the West is it? very confusing right now, especially because the Jazz are the first. But no one's the, the Jazz. It's weird. Imagine the Jazz do something. Like, that'd, that'd be incredible. That'd be nuts. Uh, say goodbye to the We, we know game. that we're in a post-LeBron era if yeah. we see a Jazz versus 100%. Cavs finals with, yeah. <laughs> without LeBron we're just looking up, Yeah, I know. Like, post-LeBron, Curry. Oh, my God. I mean, Curry's, holding on. Curry's holding on right now. Kawhi's yeah. holding on. I think, yeah. I think LeBron's holding the on. The NBA's too. changing, man. It's getting scary. And then for the finals, I got, um, you know what? I got a Milwaukee Nuggets finals. Oh, Yoke, yeah. The Greek Freak versus the Joker. 
And I got Giannis winning his second finals and second finals MVP. I'm going to stick with that finals matchup too, but I'm giving it to Jokic, man. Okay. This, this guy is the most unbeatable offensive weapon I've ever seen. He does it. He yeah. can score from anywhere. He can pass from anywhere. Like, man, it's, it's dangerous. He's a one-of-a-kind player. Yeah. For sure. Your, is, those European bigs are something else. Yeah. Um, this is fun, man. Oh, of course. Thank you so much for coming on to the pod. That's all we have for today, you guys. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great rest of your Friday afternoon. Hopefully... The Badgers come out with a dub against Stanford tonight. Yes, sir. Peace out, you guys. Deuces.